Hey, welcome to Trains Live, the Trains.com podcast. Do you like what you hear? Listen, check out this episode in video with a Trains.com unlimited membership. Click the link in the episode notes and watch it today. Oh, wait a minute, not a member? Try our 30-day free trial of Trains.com, the ultimate online portal for anyone who loves trains of any size from any era. Trains.com, it's your home for the most comprehensive railroading news and curated video series, articles, photos, and so much more, all about trains. Hey, you know on Trains Live, I'm always telling you that when you want to find a good railroad book, you got to take and make friends with your librarian or a museum curator. Well, listen, we're on the road today. We're at the National Railroad Museum in Green Bay, Wisconsin. They have just picked up a new collection in their archive. We're going to meet the curator and learn all about this. This is Trains Live. are in probably one of my favorite places in a museum, in a railroad museum. Okay, we're at the National Railroad Museum in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Yes, they've got a big boy here. You'd think I'd want to go hang out with that, but no, actually we're in probably one of my favorite places. This is the museum's archive. As you can see, man, this is there's good stuff here. There's lots of good stuff here. This is, this is where we get the stories that we tell about trains and, and railroading. This is where the museum safeguards uh, some of those precious pieces in the collection. And I got to introduce you to somebody. Remember at the end of every one of our Trains Live segments, we, we introduce some books. And there's a lot of times I tell you, look, you're going to have to go to the library or go to a museum. And you've got to make friends with the curator or the librarian to, to access some of these. Okay, well, listen. Right over here, folks, look. This this is a curator, okay? This is Daniel Litke. He is curator for the National Railroad Museum, um, keeper of the good stuff. Welcome to Trains Live. Thanks a lot, Bob. Good to have you back. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, we talked about the Lister uh, car, Joseph Lister, the hospital car here a while ago, um, the fantastic uh, restoration that you folks did on that. But today, um, you guys have just acquired a new collection here at the museum. Tell us about that. Yeah, we're really excited. We just got the Sherborne Merrill Library Collection. And this was a collection that was originally in Merrill, Wisconsin. And what they did with their historical society, they wanted to set up a large railroad library. They had uh, quite a few pieces on their own with this library and then through a lot of donations. And they wanted to set this up for people going north, um, people coming in either to see their museum, their historical society, to stop in and be able to do some research, people in the community, people in the area, and then get people as they were traveling. Um, so they did this about 10 years ago, and it started off pretty good, and then that little thing called COVID hit, which changed a lot of our lives. So they saw a real decline there, and it just wasn't getting utilized as they wanted it to. And so they really didn't want this collection just to sit there with the amount of things that they had. So they contacted us to see if we would be interested at all. 
Um, and so they sent a full inventory of what they had, and there were just a lot of really great items in that. So a lot of magazines, even some magazines that I hadn't heard of before, some research things that I hadn't heard of before, a lot of great books. Um, so it was really wonderful that they contacted us in general to see if they were interested and donated the entire library collection to us. Wow, incredible. Now, listen, for folks outside of Wisconsin or the upper Midwest, Merrill, Wisconsin's kind of out in the middle of the state, and it's it's kind of right at that point before you go into the Northwoods vacation land. So having a library like this for train enthusiasts to use there, you know, you're up in the cabin and you're working on a project, writing a book, doing a model, something, and you, you oh, man, I need that diagram. You know, th this might have been the place to look for it. Yeah, and like I said, at the beginning, they did get a good reception to it, so they were getting people, but just as traveling changed over over those couple of years and people getting in, it just wasn't getting utilized and just didn't didn't quite bounce back as, as they would have liked, so they really were trying to find a place that it uh, could be, you know, a good place to go to again, and, uh, you know, like you had mentioned with the big boy, this is one of those spots where if you're interested in the big boys, you're coming to our museum and especially for our area here and we are a national museum. So we do get a lot of visitation. We get a lot of contacts here. So to have this here to help flesh out our collection is great too. Okay, so when a collection comes in and I see a curator and the eyes go wide, what's so exciting about this Merrill collection? What is what is it doing for the museum? Okay, what kind of goodies have you found? Let's get down to the bottom line. <laughs> Well, the first thing we always look at is what what is the entire collection? So I'm looking at what the collection is, how it's going to benefit our museum, not only for our research, for our educational programs, for helping us to design new exhibits, um, all of those types of things, but how is it going to help researchers too? So in going through all of that information to look at what they had um, to see what there was. We're also looking to make sure we're not duplicating materials. Um, and with a collection this large, there were quite a few duplicates because they had, you know, all the trains magazines, all the model railroader magazines. Well, so do we. So um, that's something to consider too when we're taking this in because we're limited in space. We only have so much space. And the other thing is we want to make sure we can take care of these things properly. We want to make sure we're preserving them so that we can use them for research further. Others can use them for research. So some of the things that we got here, one of the things that I was quite excited about. Okay. And hang on just a minute. Hold on. Tea party? What? What? what right. Yeah. I, what's, I with like the, what's with the? What's with the glove? I did. I'm. Up, my finger. My pinky goes up too, and I'm very. Um, when we're we're looking at things, our the biggest danger to any object uh, in the collection is us, <laughs> because we have oils on our fingers. So you know, when we're touching things, we want to make sure those oils aren't getting on to pieces. Um, the other thing too is we need to be careful how we're lifting things, how we're picking things up if things are really delicate. Um, you know, just like when you're at home, sometimes you quick reach for something and you knock something over or you pick something up and you don't have a destination in mind where you're going to set it. Those are all things that we really want to think about ahead of time when we're working with our artifacts, working with our collection. So there's a few extra steps we want to do. Now, sometimes depending on what the object is, you know, I may not use gloves because I need to get a better hold of it. Or I might use gloves that have a, a little bit of a, a tactile surface on there so I can get a better, uh, better grip. Sometimes, too, even with, uh, with books... Um, gloves aren't the best because if there are a lot of tears on the pages, sometimes the gloves can snag those. So, you know, we really want to be careful. Photos, it's really good to wear gloves on so you're not getting all your sticky, all your fingerprints on there. But So the, so the bottom line is 
since you probably don't have gloves my size and just right. knowing knowing me anyway, you're not going to turn me loose in the archive here. No, it, it took a lot uh, to get you in here anyway. I was really debating whether I've seen you in here before. So. Okay, so back to the good stuff that you found in the Merrill Collection. So some of the things, we get a lot of people coming in to do research um, on train movements of the past, what was hauled, when, where, those types of things. So one of the great things that the collection had was a lot of official railway registers. Um, and it was, we've got quite a few in the collection here, but this really helps fill in those gaps. And I mean, some of those years are some pretty big gaps. Um, and we've got ones that go back here quite a few years. This one is, uh, you know, it's fairly new, but we've got ones that go back into the 80s, into the 70s, and further back. Um, one of the other things that was really great with this collection is more of the official guides to the railways. So then we can not only talk about the railroad freight and equipment that was moved, but then also the equipment that was being used to move people. Um, and that's always a popular one when we have researchers coming in to do genealogies because, you know, great-great-grandma so-and-so landed in New York and, you know, they found their way out to the Midwest. How did they get there? What trains could they have traveled on? Or um, authors, too. Surprisingly, that we get a lot of authors contacting us because it's the same thing. I have a character that I'm trying to get from, you know, the East Coast out to California. What trains are available? How can we do that? What were the maps? So we use those for a lot of educational purposes. So whenever we can find one that we don't have in the collection, that's great because some years... You know, sometimes those train lines don't change at all, and then some years there's massive changes where these big companies gobble up the little ones, and then, you know, or they close down, and then all of a sudden it's not used anymore. So, so, so it's it's something. You know, these documents we're, we're talking you know, go back decades, but also well over a hundred years. And I mean, to to paint that picture of railroading, you know, back in the in the late 1800s, even early 1900s, this this is a treasure trove. And like you said, to fill in those gaps, just just incredible. Um, okay, so we've got the Merrill collection. Um, this is, uh, the, from what you've described, the scope of this collection. This is going to be a massive cataloging job. It is. There's, you know, a few thousand pieces that uh, of items to go through. So, I mean, that's, you know, just its own unit of itself. That's not even including, you know, other donations that come in or, or other things that we've had at the museum but haven't been processed through. So it's, it's really important that we you know, go through again. We're finding out which ones we need, where we can put them into the collection, making space here in the collection for those things. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be a long, several months of, of work to get all these cataloged because you're doing each one individually. And the database that we use is past perfect. So we can put in all this great information, the title, the volume numbers, the authors, you know, get information, search terms put in there. So the more information we have in that database, then the easier it is when people come to research. So if someone's coming from outside, there's like, you know, I'd like to know whatever you've got on the Milwaukee Road in this region. Oh, great, we can enter those keywords in and then whatever pops up, we can go directly to it and helps us you know, to kind of limit our time in searching for those things so it's easier to pull out. Sure. Yeah. Remember I said you got to make a friend with your, your museum curator. What Daniel just said, that's why. Because when they get through a collection like this and then you come in and pose a, a research question, you know, say, like, say like myself, I'm you know, working on an article, just like you said, I might come in and say, I need to know um, in, you know, such and such an area, uh, what trains, what, you know, what was their schedule, how did that schedule progress? 
by doing everything you're going to do and taking the time, now you're going to be able to help the researcher. Um, and folks, man, it is just a, it's a treasure trove of information. So when, when something comes in, um, obviously, as you've just said, it doesn't just go right on the shelf. Mm -hmm. um, what, I mean, okay, let, let's do this. Hang on just a minute here. Hold on. I brought you some magazines, Dan. Okay. Do they make it in South Dakota? Do they? Now you know I put it right on the top. <laughs> yeah, okay. okay, so I just brought you some magazines. And imagine this is like the, the Merrill collection. You said part of the Merrill collection was Trains magazine. Now, now first off, Trains, personally, I don't know why anybody doesn't keep at least two to three copies of every issue, but <laughs> that's just me. I might be, might be a little biased. But, okay, I, what happens to these now? I'd like to give these to the museum, sure. just like with the Merrill collection coming in. What, what, what's next? Sure. Well, the first thing we're going to be looking at then is going through our database to make sure we don't have any duplicates. Now, since these are all new ones, we don't have any of these, but we'd be going through, if we do have duplicates, we wouldn't accept them as a donation into the collection, but the things we don't have, we would. Um, then there's forms to fill out, so I would have you fill out what's called a temporary custody agreement. So what that is, is showing that you've donated or dropped off the items here to the museum and we're considering them for a donation. So it's kind of the, we have them, but they're not fully processed yet. Um, once things get processed through, we create a specific catalog number that goes, that links with your personal information that you've donated the items so we can go back and say, okay, well, Bob Lettenberger donated these items to us in 2023. Um, we don't share that information with anyone. That's just for our records so we can go back. And then if someone comes in, it's like, you know, my grandpa donated something here, you know, 30 years ago. Do you have information on that? We can look and, and see what that is. Um, then once the items get fully put into the collection, then we'll send you what's called a deed of gift to transfer ownership over to the museum. Um, and then a nice thank you. And then, you know, we don't appraise the value to anything. If anyone wants to do that, they have to do that on their own but then they have records that they've donated to the museum for their tax purposes. Um, so then, you know, once these are inventoried, we get them cataloged, we get them shelved, and then from there on, then people have, can have access to them. We have access to doing our research and others too, so. Okay, when I, when I go to the library, I go in, I take a book off the shelf, there we go. What you're describing here, not only the getting a book to the shelf, but then getting access, and this sounds like a heck of a lot of work. I mean, it, this isn't a, you're not a guy with sitting with the feet up on the desk. This is even maintaining a small archive physical space with a, you know, with several thousands and thousands of, of pieces. This is a lot of work. It is. Um, and I, I do remember someone who worked here a while back that this was kind of their library where they'd stroll in, take a book, and then later on at the end of the year, oh, here's the books I borrowed from you. Um, so... <laughs> What we do, <laughs> what we do when we have, even with our staff, if there are things that they want, they kind of the same process. They come to me, they ask if we have certain items. I'll look them up, and then, you know, we'll get them off the shelves, and then we can use them, and then they go back on the shelves when they're done. I make a, a note of what's being used, so you know if. Because memory is only so good as as I would hope it to be. Um, so it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. So-and-so borrowed this or so-and-so. But then we have it in our database where these things move to within our site as well. So if it went on exhibit or if it's in someone's office being used for research, and then it can go back to the right spot. Um, if you're coming from, 
outside of the museum and would like access to the collections, um, you can contact me by email and we do have a form to, for access of the museum. So it's getting the contact information of the person, you know, what specifically they're looking for, um, if they're using this for research purposes, you know, what they're, they're doing. So then I can go through ahead of time with the collection to say, okay, yeah, we do have these items and say, yep, this is what we have. We can set up a time and then I'll set up a time in our conference room to have the materials there, um, you know, the white gloves, all the, the things there and if they'd like to do the research. So, um, you know, a few extra steps that way, but it's, it's very, very accessible for people who are interested in doing the research. So it's really just the time and, yeah. And it, and it and it keeps the pieces preserved so that you know only not only here in 2023 2024 mm -hmm. but you know 25 years from now um, they'll be able to people will be able to come and do research. Oh, and and by the way, um, you know down at at uh, Trains Magazine we have the David P Morgan Library. Um, I I you broke me of my habit. I promptly return <laughs> things there, but I will say this: you know the guys over at Classic Trains. They only take their stuff back once a month, um, <laughs> to the detriment of our librarian. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of work goes into this. Um, just, I mean, incredible, um, you know, wealth to manage something like this. And I think the thing that folks need to understand is that, you know, you're spring cleaning. And, and you find that box of trains magazines and you bring them in and, you know, bless you for doing that because you're thinking of the other folks. But like you said, there's, there's a space limitation. And especially now in the, in the digital time when, uh, you know, like at Kalmbach, we have all of our magazines digitized. It is nice to have a hard copy. I mean, we still have hard copies that we use. Um, but you know, the, the space is, is finite. Um, and I think folks need to understand that um, when you, you know, when you bring something into a museum, um, you know, like you said, if there's a need for it, if it's within the scope of the collection, you're going to hang on to it. But if not, you know, sorry. Yeah, and that's, you know, every museum I've worked at, that's kind of the same thing. And it's, it's a hard, you know, nobody wants to hear no. I mean, Nobody wants that in life, and it's, it is a rather challenging thing because the item that the people have, it has a lot of meaning to them. This belonged to their family. It ha they have that value to it. Um, but if we have three or four of those objects already, you know, I, we just don't need it. It's not, it's not going to add to the, the story of the collection. Um, one of the other things that I always do, too, is if we can't accept it, if it's not going to either fit our collection or it is going to duplicate what we have, is to give options of where else they can contact to get that information. You know, I still, you know, we don't want to lose it, but it just might not be the best fit here. So what are the other options? Where can you go with this? What other museums or historical societies or other places could this fit into their collection? Um, and that's, uh, that's kind of the, the big thing, you know, especially for us, magazines are a big one because everybody was collecting those magazines. So there's so many of those. Um, so we really don't collect a lot more of those just because, you know, unless it happens to be, we don't have that issue. Um, lanterns are another one. We've got a huge lantern collection and we've got good, uh, representations of a lot of different styles. Um, one museum I remember I worked at, wedding dresses were the thing to give to that museum. So, you know, it's kind of, you know, there's always something that is kind of the niche thing that everybody wants to get there. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, we still want to preserve it and I'm, I'm still the same way. Even if I can't take it, I'm going to do my best to provide options for where you can go to get that, get that to a good home. You know, and I think that's something for, for a lot of folks to understand. It's, you know, it's not that 
the museum or the institution that you're trying to give something to is is just shutting the door on you or is is being apathetic or whatever um it's it's a matter of of managing that collection and doing what is the best not only for you know now but for five years and 10 years and, and 50 years down the road um, and, you know, to to manage and preserve these things, which, as you know, it takes a lot of work work to do. Um, something else I want to want to touch on before you show me a few goodies in here. And I know you've got goodies in the room. Um, we're in a room right now, no windows, um, controlled lighting. Um, I can tell you when we're, we're, we're taping this, it's the middle of July. So outside it's, it's humid. It's kind of a nice day, but in here, it's just, it's nice and it's dry and it's cool. Um, and there is quite a bit that is done with the environment in here to make sure that again, things stay safe. Yeah. And we're every, just like all of us, we like different temperatures. So items here are the same way. They all have their specific temperature that works really well for them. With any of them, we want to have a low humidity. That's really one of the most important things because in general, when everything gets closed up, it's, you know, pretty sealed up. The lights are out. You know, if we have an item in here that has mold and it's humid in here, that is going to spread and go crazy. So we're always really careful before I even bring something in. That's one of the things too, as I'm evaluating a new donation is to make sure, okay, there's no mold in here. There's no um, insects or anything like that, because, you know, if it isn't quarantined correctly and it's brought in, that can be some major problems for us. So we always have a low humidity. It's usually about, uh, usually trying to keep it at about 30% humidity. So really pretty low. Um, temperature in here is usually about 65 degrees. So it's, it's kind of standard for like everything that's in here. Um, a lot of your photos and films like cooler. So, I mean, usually they're in kind of a, like a walk-in cooler. We don't have that option here, but where we keep the temperature and humidity, that's a good cross the board for everything. Hot summer day. You now know where you're going to find the curator hiding right here. So um, thousands, thousands of items in here. Show me a couple of favorites. Sure. Um, a couple fun things here. We've got this one. It's Lake Michigan and Puget Sound. This was a an advertising book, kind of a... Um, a fun book for electric railroads for Chicago, Milwaukee, uh, and St. Paul here. Now, what was interesting with this, it's basically kind of your advertising too. So it's kind of like your scenic picture book. It's advertising. So it's showing you different scenes that we have through the area as you're traveling. And of course, advertising the trains too. Uh, because, I mean, the marketing departments for the railroads were fantastic, and the art departments and the things that they were doing um, were just amazing. So to be able to have these pictures, and especially what I'm always impressed with, you know, with old lithographs, old maps, the colors are still so vivid, where when we look at, you know, photographs from the 60s or 70s, how much they fade over time, and some of these pictures here are just just amazing with how long they've lasted. And especially because, you know, they weren't in a nice climate-controlled environment for their entire lives. And then now it, uh, that works out pretty well. So, so a book like that, you would get that um, either before you want a tra basically a travel brochure or as a souvenir uh, after you, you came back from that trip. Um, I was noticing somewhere on there, I believe it said it was about a 1920s. So that means that those those images we were looking at would all have been hand colored and and tipped in there. Hey, Amtrak, Amtrak, you need these things, man. This is this is cool. This is cool. 
it's just like, you know, when you'd go places and you'd get the postcards, you know, because you couldn't get that perfect shot, so you'd be getting the postcards. It's kind of the same thing with that. So that would be your collector's item to remember the trip. And those are the really fun things. And some of the, some of the books we have or some of the postcards that we have that have the letters that were actually written to people, you know, those are all great sure. information to have. It's just that fun. It gives you that personal connection. You know, any of these items are really cool, but it's that personal connection that you have um, that really makes the story, that adds to it, you know. You know the department at the back of Trains Magazine, in my own words, Okay, what Dan's, Daniel's describing it, it's the living version of it, the, the actual, the, the, the first, first source, primary source material. We have a scrapbook, yep. and, and I, want, I want folks to note, when you, you pick up the scrapbook here, we've got a tag on it that has got a great big honking identification <laughs> number on it, and, and folks, everything in the room here that has been cataloged is going to have a number like that. So when you're doing your research, you can record that and then later on come back and say, Daniel, I missed something in that. Can you find me? And through your past perfect system, there it is. Okay, so let, let's open up the scrapbook. And this, is, and this is a perfect one too, because this, when we get this here, so we have the 2023, so it was donated this year. So that's the first set of numbers. The next string of numbers here, the 00031, that's the donation within this year. So that's going to be the one that links back to the person who donated with their information, and it's the uh, number one item within that donation. So that's how we catalog things, and then again, we have the locations and everything so we can find it. Um, this one was exciting. This was a scrapbook that was kept by someone who worked for the Milwaukee Road in the, the Twin Cities area during World War II. Um, so they were working for the railroad. They weren't uh, in the military, but they were working for the railroad at the time. Um, they did have some connection with Fort Snelling where the Transportation Corps was training all its people. So they had collected all these newspaper articles, which were great about wartime things, all these railroad-related articles. Um, you know, there are some in there about moving troops. And I brought this one out because it's, it's a recent one we've gotten, and it's a fun one because it has some great articles, and it also demonstrates how we need to be careful with things because this, I mean, it's basically, none of this is connected here. Okay. So it's, it's all very, we have to be very careful with everything that we're doing here. Um, and actually, as I was going through the, the book, just looking at some of the articles, looking at some of the pictures, there were some pictures there of a Carl Gray Jr., um, which was very exciting because he did a great deal for getting the National Railroad Museum started. So we had immediately a connection between the museum and the scrapbook. Um, so there were some pictures there. Uh, there were also some, some fun ones of, again, some of the troop movements uh, during World War II, which is really important for us because, again, with having the big boy here and the Eisenhower locomotive, we talk a lot about World War II, so it has a lot of pieces that fit in. Uh, but So great stuff. I'm not going to go through all of it because I wanted to show you just how delicate some of the items are that we have. Um, so some of the things that we'll do, too, then, is we'll go through, and there were a few articles that were really good and that I'm actually going to put on display with one of our new exhibits here, too, um, so getting things scanned um, so we can make reproductions of some of the things that are in here so we're not hurting the original piece, but we can still show people what, uh, what we've got and how important this is. Incredible, incredible. Beautiful stuff that, that you can find in a library or a museum archive. And this is why I always tell you, listen, 
That is a curator. Make friends, all right? Um, hey, end of uh, Train's Life, we got to take and step down to Mr. Bob's Railroad Bookshelf, and we, man, we got a, we got a heck of a bookshelf for you today. This is, this is just, this is like, this is the bookshelf to end all bookshelves, and you can probably start seeing it um, come by me as we're, we're walking along here. And uh, if we can go down just a hair further, look at this, folks. Look at this. Look at all of these books. Just hold on, just a moment here. Oh. This is why I always tell you, Get to know your librarian, get to know a museum curator, get to know the folks at the local historical society, because like the Merrill Collection and like all of this, they are going to have resources of this nature that you can use, that you can do your research with. And you know these are just regular published books. They have primary source documents as we have seen in, in Daniel's talk to us about the Merrill Collection. So yes, the bookshelf, not just one bookshelf today, but literally a bookshelf with thousands of wonderful pieces. National Railroad Museum, Green Bay, Wisconsin, uh, www.nationalrrmuseum.org is their website. Um, look under their staff listings. You'll find Daniel's email. If you want to do some research, uh, email him, get in touch with him. If you've got some things you'd like to have considered for their collection, Hey, you know, email Daniel and, and see what you can do. Um, but like I said, make friends with that curator. Hey, KalmbachHobbyStore.com. Check that out. Great place for all kinds of good books and other items from the folks here at, at Kalmbach Media, Trains Magazine, Classic Trains, Model Railroader. Check out Trains.com. New content every day. Thousands of articles on there. Great photos as well. We're adding stuff all the time. Plus Newswire. Keep up on all the latest railroad news. Trains.com. And of course, you know, I really, really, really would like to see you in and amongst the pages of Trains Magazine very soon. Do you like what you hear? Listen, check out this episode in video with a Trains.com Unlimited membership. Click the link in the episode notes and watch it today. Oh, wait a minute, not a member? Try our 30-day free trial of Trains.com, the ultimate online portal for anyone who loves trains of any size from any era. Trains.com, it's your home for the most comprehensive railroading news and curated video series, articles, photos, and so much more all about trains.